welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and hairless, naked, underground rodent monster. I don't know who that is, but my name's Alex Dandino. Amir, my friend, Amir. No, I'm just kidding. All right, guys, before we start today's uh, documentary, The Paul Gets Real Deep Dive, a little business, guys. We're on Patreon.com, uh, Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist Pod. It's the absolute best way to support the show. Today's episode, along with this entire month's curation, was actually selected by one of our Highlander-level uh, patrons. Guys, for as little as a dollar a month, you can dip your toes in, see what's going on over there, get to know the community, communicate with us more. Um, and as you go up the tiers, guys, you'll get discounts on merch and you'll be able to start picking your own episodes. Uh, it's a lot of fun, man. The patrons we have, we adore them. You guys will love them, too. So for those of you who support us already, thank you. For those who are about to, thank Obliged. you as well. Again, patreon.com slash Pod. Please, please, we have kids to feed, please. All right, well, we'll try that method, too. Uh, <laughs> make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist, uh, over on YouTube. You can see video version of most of our pods there, uh, along with some other stuff that we have cooking up. We have plans, always. Uh, please leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show. Quick five-star, quick sentence or two about why you enjoy spending time with us. Helps us defeat the algorithmic, just nihilistic philosophies of life. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com, <laughs> and find us on all the social media that you're on. All right. Enough of that business. Let's get down to nonsense. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's get down the to pod hard, gets cold, real. hard facts. Yeah. From friend, patron, Heath Benfield, the pod gets real. This has been a fascinating challenge. Alex and I are always up for a challenge. We've done a lot of movies. These are our first documentaries, and they are – it's a different beast, guys. So we're having fun with this. They are documentaries, yes. We hope that you are. Um, guys, today we're talking about fast, cheap, and out of control. This is Errol Morris written and directed, correct? Yes, Errol Morris written and directed. Uh, technically not written because it's a documentary. Y'all, I always have trouble – as. As a person who actually works in a lot, a lot of these, the thing that when people say, like, it was written, I'm like, that literally defeats the purpose of a documentary. It never Well, makes you can sense. tell some documentaries that they put lines in their subjects' mouths. Sure. Like I if, assume writing is, you know, in the editing process. That's what I always bits. assume. Like, right? I worked yeah. on a documentary where the <laughs> editor was credited as a writer. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, sure. Yeah. Very weird credit, though. But, yeah, uh, Errol Morris <laughs> – uh, Errol Morris, uh, 1997, so this is a much older film. Shot on film, shot by Robert Richardson, who you, everyone else knows is the man, the myth of uh, Quentin Tarantino, one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite D DPs. Uh, he yeah. shot Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Inglorious Bastards, and Once Upon a really? Time in Hollywood. Yep. Holy shit, man. Uh, he has a story. From humble beginning. I mean, honestly, though, this movie is beautifully shot, right? Yeah. So essentially, for those of you who haven't seen this, right, you can find it. Uh, go find it, guys. It is worth a watch. It's an interesting documentary, and it's one of those things I think Errol Morris does really well, right? Which I think his first big one that he became really successful for was Thin Blue Line, Thin Blue right? Line, yeah. Yeah, that was a big, and that's a very serious, you know, piece, right? Mm -hmm. What I love about this one is that it's essentially this think piece on the human condition, 
yeah. and the great question of our lives, which is what is the fucking purpose of all of this, right? Mm -hmm. As seen through these four strange men. And it's one of the, the fun things about a documentary is you just find these these weird guys. And I mean, not that they're like insanely strange, but they are they would be one well, of the strangest guys, you know, I, mean, I can tell you. Yeah, there's not a lot of movies out there about lion tamers. I'll say that. So, yeah, that was... well, that motherfucker. We'll talk about him in a minute. But <laughs> what I think is really fun, right? What Errol Morris does well is he weaves this tale mm -hmm. that is, you know, it's just this epic question, essentially, is what is the point of this? What are we doing? And these four disparate stories of four men, right? Three of whom were following literal childhood obsessions, right? Yeah. And the fourth guy who just cuts branches, right? But he loves it still. Just a, it wasn't a, like his he's childhood. A he's obsession. a topiary artist, yes. Topiary artist. Yeah, but it wasn't like the other three. It was a childhood fascination. And it, they felt as if it had made them weird and outsiders and this and that. So you watch these four disparate tales coming at this question of why from all of these different angles – but it melds so perfectly and seamlessly through the narrative. And I, I think there's a lot of great filmmaking and visual techniques to help kind of mine those, you know, like a naked mole rat, you're mining those extra, those extra meanings and those extra symbolisms and bits that make this way more than it seems on first glance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. On first on first glance, for me, it is a documentary about four people that have, like, nothing to do with each other. But that's what Errol Morris does really well. Like, I like Errol Morris as a filmmaker. Like, he's made a lot of really interesting documentaries. Mm -hmm. This this Producer one, I, on the act of killing. He's one of the, remember, like, granddaddies. this was the first one he used this technique. It probably isn't. But um, his interview technique is very specific. Like, whenever you're watching an Errol Morris movie, you know you're watching an Errol Morris movie because um, all the subjects face the camera. There's a very specific look that everybody has, and they look directly into the camera when they're telling their stories. Um, yeah. My first, uh, actually, the first thing I ever saw from Errol Morris was a documentary series he did for HBO called um, First Person, mm -hmm. um, where he told a man told a story of landing, of crash landing a plane, like a commuter jet with like 40 people on it. Good lord! And uh, <laughs> again, like the whole thing, like there was some B-roll and everything, but all, all of it was taking place like him just staring at the camera telling the story and it was absolutely harrowing very different from what we watched fast cheap and out of control yeah but still very effective techniques very interesting way to tell a story and i think ultimately uh yeah the weaving of the narratives being like four completely disparate things that have nothing to do with each other and disparate people who end up kind of running the same gamut of self-discovery i guess is that a way to put it i don't i mean yeah i think it's self-discovery for us because it's funny we both mentioned that this is lighter fare than his other movies this movie's literally dealing with the most epic and confounding question that a human being will yeah. ever ponder right so while it seems very surface right we're just watching these these weird guys right mm -hmm. they're that's what he does so well, right? Is because, like you said, they seem very disparate, right? To me, they're all these different stages, right? The guy who wants to explain us through science, the guy who wants to connect us to nature, the man who wants to defeat nature, right? And the man who wants to be, you know, essentially like a movie star kind of thing, right? He's creating right. his own myth. So you see these four different ways with which people kind of tackle these things. And at the end, all we are left with is nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's not a bad thing. I think that it's a not. lot of documentaries would force down our throats that 
there needs to be a nice tight ending to yeah. this movie. And I think what this is just saying, right? I think the gardener says it and it's the line of the movie. He's like, it's just cut and wait, cut and wait. That's all you do. And I was like, that's, that's what we all do. And I think that's what's so brilliant is because the technique he used a lot that I loved, right, is you would have uh, the mole rat guy who is Ray, right? Mm-hmm. Ray would be talking about the politics of the mole rat, right? right? How they have to uniformly like roll in each other's pee or else you'd be seen as an alien, an outsider. And then you show circus folk, yep. right? While he's speaking, or you show the topiary artist mm-hmm. as uh, Dave, the evil, or not D- Dave's the trainer, right? George, uh, Rodney is the, yeah, the robot uh, scientist. George, right? George is the topiary artist, right? Yeah. So you see George working on these these things, talking about how he has to still do it by hand. If you do it with machinery, it loses its intricacies and shape, right? Right. right. And then you cut to B roll of him, and the next person who talks is the robot scientist Rodney, talking about how in the future. These machines will be ever present in our lives. And those blending of watching one man stuck in this part of a a life and then talking about this vast future, you immediately in your mind, you can't process the image with what's being said. You know that that topiary artist doesn't have a place in the future this guy envisions and vice versa. And so I think it's those those crossovers that work perfectly, even when they're contradictory. Yeah. They just meld this all together. I mean, I think that's what this movie does so effectively and fascinatingly is melding is juxtaposing a different person's interview with a different person's B roll. Like, yes. Like that, I think is probably the thing that's most interesting and most effective from a visual standpoint is like when you're watching this and again, like you and I are very different. We watch a lot of movies. I love watching documentaries. Like a lot of them are love like, them. they're just really fascinating. Like I said, uh, last week on the act of killing, like, to me, documentary filmmaking is the last like bastion of like pure, so to speak. There is this like, there's just like this un this unknowable about documentary filmmaking that you just can't get with narrative. Like, you know, we've seen so many crazy things in narrative films, and yet still, real life is so insane. Um, so when yeah, you see well, stuff, I mean, like documentaries this, haven't been saved the catted to death. No, you know, studio executive to death. Like they, they have right. their own unique rhythms mm-hmm. at and times, which Errol I Morris feel like particularly we've lost. has his yes. own unique yes, rhythm. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, to me, that's what makes this movie interesting is to watch. That's the melding. That's the interweaving between these stories. Is like you realize that while all these people seem very different, they're really very much the same. Like all of us are. And then like, we all sort of lump ourselves into the story. And that's what I like about documentary filmmaking is we all end up assigning ourselves a piece of the story. And like, there's absolutely like, that's the thing that I think makes great documentaries versus like good documentaries or not great documentaries is when you watch a documentary and you see not yourself, but you see a piece of something that you latch onto and that, not that you necessarily have an opinion on, but you feel in your core might get you in some way. Like there's something about that that touches you in a way that you're not right. ex- that you're not expecting, but you know is part of your life. And that's what this is so much. That's what this functions so well with is yeah. all of us are these people. We just don't do these fantastic things, but we do something similar to it. It's our lives mm-hmm. on display, whether we like it or not. It's it's very yeah. interesting. Well, everyone was a kid in school, and you remember your history teacher bringing in the rolling TV cart, and you're like, fuck. And you'd watch a PBS thing like, life under the pioneer, right? Watch this lady dip a candle wax. And you're like, this is so fucking boring. (laughs) 
and they just present everything as like, well, in 1982, the sun would rise at four, and we'd be out spanking cows by 4.30. And you're like, wait, I want to talk about that. Nope, we can't. Now it's cracker <laughs> breakfast. And you're like, what? And that's just how it would go for yeah. an hour. And you're like, I'm so bored that the information can't hit. I don't relate to those people as other, like, pioneer humans. I relate to them as these things that are killing my mind in history right. class. And that's why things like this – like, I don't have a ton in common with the guy who's, like, making robots, but – when you think about it, right, like there's something he said that really struck me when he's like, I love the idea of how evolution builds upon what it's already done. Right. Yeah. The inside of us is a lizard brain inside of the lizard's brain is a fish brain. And I don't I mean, it could just be all bullshit. I'm probably not as smart as him to dissect what he's saying, but no, I like that. By the that way, none idea. of us are as smart as the guy who builds robots. I'm just going to say that. Right? Yeah, unless you build robots, that, then unless you smart. are. And if you're that smart, you've stumbled upon the show. I apologize. <laughs> And I wish you all the best in your future podcast endeavors. Because <laughs> I'm just sitting here talking about spanking cows and shit. But what I'm saying is I like the idea of, because I think that's what is is really fascinating to me, right? Like the one of the major through lines is the, the naked mole rat expert, right? Mm -hmm. Who's talking about the way that these naked mole rats are this absolute anomaly in nature. That they function... Like, they're a mammalian creature that function, functions like an insect would, right? right? This greater collective. And he has this great analogy where he says they are the equivalent of a person. Like, let's say a human being's like, they're locked in a room, right? And they have a colony. And the queen dies. And they're like, now we need someone who's six foot five. And they look at the person who's five feet tall. And they are able to grow to be six foot five and fill their role in society. Right. And they use this through line to show how... We are also like that, right? We have a very high mentality at times. They do a lot of B-roll to the circus audience. Mm -hmm. And then we see the robot, which is very insect-like. So the insects and the robots and the mole rats and us, we all have these things in common. And so it just gets to this core of maybe this is just life, right? Yeah. And I would say at the other end, you have the lion tamer and the topiary artist, right? They're kind of the men fighting against nature. They don't want to explore it or explain it. They want to dominate it. Yeah. But even that becomes this entry because that's when the film would switch POV, right? So you have this, we're trying to understand, and the science, the robot scientist is very nihilistic, right? Like, what is the point of all this? Maybe we yeah. won't be in the future. Well, blah, yeah, blah, the blah. robot scientist is very much like this. <laughs> it is very much this, like, I've already seen Skynet. I know where this is going. So, like, <laughs> he's like, I'm just going to invent Skynet Did now. Did you think he was actually really cre – when he talked about the mini robots that just wipe his TV, I was like, this guy's like a serial killer. He That's such a weirdly specific thing to fantasize you about. You know what's funny? I've been watching um, <laughs> Batman – I've been watching Batman the Animated Series with the kid. And um, do you remember, like, Heart of Steel, like the episodes with the uh, robots? Mm -hmm. So – all I could think of was like, did he like build Hardak? Is that what's going on? Is, <laughs> is he like that fucking, is he that fucking farmer guy who's like, I don't know. Well, I'd you know, worried uh, the way that he was talking about those robots that he was building hard on. Well, but there's also <laughs> that neither here nor there. He might that have very well been the first me. guy to build a, uh, build a real doll. Who knows? Well, they, <laughs> they had some amazing shots of him where he's just like slack jawed staring into the distance. Yeah. Right. Like they ponder this. There's a like B roll of this old fucking vintage robot movie. And he's just like, and I was like, is that arousal or confusion or deep thinking? Like, I'm both. Errol Morris asked us to do a lot of work, right? We are, we are weavers at the, you know, the loom. We're weavers at the narrative. loom of this narrative because, again, 
that's what the documentary, yeah. particularly Errol Morris documentaries, ask us to do is the work. And I like, mm-hmm. I like that. Like the Lion Tamer telling the story about um, the wristwatch. That mm-hmm. was like one of those things where I was like, this is a really interesting, like, because he was talking about like learning, you learn valuable like there's like when you make a bigger error you learn a big you you know you make errors to make to learn lessons that's how i learn lessons he's like sometimes you make tremendously terrible errors like i Mm -hmm. made an error that gave me three months in the hospital and it's one of those things where you're like and again like this is a guy who tames lions for a living and i'm just i've never had an interest in that that seems really dangerous and stupid zero but i thought about that and i was like I guess there are like those, I have those things in my life too. Like everything circles back in this documentary to being about your own situation. Like you might not have a lion tamer situation, but all of us have made those mistakes that end up haunting us for like years, months, days, decades, whatever it is. Like I can think back to when I was a kid and a mistake I made that still makes me feel uncomfortable. Still makes me think like, wow, I did like learn a very valuable lesson at that moment. Like, that's what I think this that's what a lot of these guys like just little interpersonal stories do because I, I, like the guy who with the mole um, Ray Mendez, the mole rat expert, I I found him very interesting. He was very like you could not build a nerdier guy in a lab like if you were like trying to build the nerdiest guy ever. But like, evolution peaked with that one. <laughs> but like that was like what was interesting. And again, this is the documentary doing its work is like. I was watching Ray and I'm like, I don't relate to Ray, but his stories are very interesting to me. But like the robot, but the, you know, um, and I don't relate to George, but Rodney and Dave, like they have stories that have relevance to my life, even though I've never done either of those things. And I find them both incredibly impressive people. Uh, It's interesting that like the cherry picking that goes on in my brain when I'm watching the documentary. And then at the end, I realize like all of them are pretty much doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're just doing it. They're all just operating in very different realms of science for themselves. Like it's the science of risk for the lion tamer. And it's really, it was all just very fascinating. Like I did not expect to pull what I pulled out of it when I started the movie. That's funny. You mentioned science. Cause I was more facet. There's kind of a magic to this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And to me, what I think that I was settling on, right. As they talk about, this you know all of their pursuits right and they keep coming back to this what is the value of all this right and i felt like the movie constantly showed me because again i think george is kind of a sad story in this right it's just like hey make this magical thing just at the behest of this old benefactor lady right right and there's something kind of sad about that he has this line that really just fucking smacked me upside the head where him and his wife are in like the servants quarters or wherever they live And he's like, they spent $44 on a scarecrow hat. And the scarecrow looks like George. Yeah. And she goes, she thinks I'm worth $44. And I'm like, well, George, she could have given you the $44 instead of the stupid hat. Yeah. And it's one of those, it just kind of, but he's just a guy who had this mission. He's like, I just see it in my head and I go about doing it. And so what I found is that, that the movie's asking a lot of questions and then trying to answer them with the other characters, right? Mm -hmm. So when they say, what is the point of all this, right? Silicon life might replace us. What are we doing here? George is what we're doing here, right? Is right. that the fact that what makes us different from a robot or from uh, these naked mole rats is that we have Georges out there that for no rhyme or reason and not enough reward, not enough praise, 
he's just out there making the world this very beautiful place, right? He is taking around him and making it beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the naked mole rats are just evolutionarily sleek, right? They lost their hair. They don't sweat. All the shit he tells us. But they're just functioning, right? They're rolling around in piss to just keep themselves maintained, right? The right. robots are just processing their simple functions. Mm-hmm. George is out here creating magic and beauty. Yeah. And so I think what he's saying is that, you know, that's what we do. And I think that's why they use that and a lot of B-rolls of the circus. Because mm-hmm. I have to stop and talk about this. I fucking hate circuses. And I think they Same. are I think they are the fucking worst. And I watched it and I was like, this is just so sad and it pathetic. Me, and it I hate it. It made me depressed. Like the romantic- so depressed. The romanticized version of like circus acts and circuses in general is so- Especially in this movie, like I agree, I was watching them set up the like the lion cage, and I'm like, this demystifies a lot of like coolness that was ever associated. Yeah. I, I don't think I agree. Like I think circuses are terrible. That it, it like demystifies so much. You're like wow, it's literally just like a cage. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like a right? collapsible took, cage. Yeah, take the fucking. Because I was fascinated by the human cannonball and the ladies doing yeah. that balance beam on the fucking exercise balls. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's cool. I don't need to see the fucking tortured and I don't need to see the fucking analog VHS Tiger King over here fucking cracking whips. He's got a pistol on his hip. Yeah. And it's just one of those like, well, he might have to shoot a tiger in front of the captive audience. And I was like, honestly, you deserve to get fucking mauled. Was that I thought that was just a starter pistol. I mean, it might be because there's the scene where he actually fires it. I think it's just to scare the the line. I thought that was like an extra like cinematic. Like he walks into the sunset and shoots it. That's like when we're talking about him retiring. Right. No, I think that either it doesn't really matter. Anywho, because I mean, this is a man who's just crafted himself after this terrible serial character, right? Claude Rains or whatnot. He took his whole. I don't know if that's the name. It was Baru. No, that's the the little wild child in the movie. Right. Oh, you're talking. That, oh, yeah. oh, that was the that, movie. That was the title of the movie, wasn't it? Right. But not, yeah, yeah, I know no, you're talking about. No, it was Darkest Africa was the serial. Oh, uh, that's what it was. And yeah. Baru was the son of the mission. Anywho, that's yeah. a lot to know about deepest Darkest Africa. But uh, yeah, I just I looked at it, and that part honestly just made me mad. Yeah. Because they kept showing the B roll of this tiger and lion fighting viciously. Mm-hmm. And they showed bears doing this thing, and they showed elf, and that's he's kind of the anti George to me, right? Whereas George is creating this fucking magic from the earth, right? George is like Swamp Thing; he's the keeper of the green. He's one thing; <laughs> he's one with nature. Knew that was coming. Uh, Had to yeah, be. whoever Dave is, right? Yeah, he starts off, and I liked him, right? The priest told him against his parents' wishes, "Hey, the world needs lion tamers too," and I was like, "That's a great sentiment." Yeah, and then you watch him in practice, and you're like, "He's just this douche." fucking abusing animals and i'm not impressed by their fucking tricks i'm just watching so you see the circus scenes right as they talk about us as like a hive of naked mole rats in the crossover and that part made me sad right he is taking magic and cheapening it to such an extent that then you want the robot guys thing to come true and us to be replaced right so there's always some kind of like battleship style juxtaposing yeah of these you know there's two science and two magic one good one dark in both and i i fucking hated because that's what i mean like are the people doing amazing physical feats not enough no yeah like, i mean i know they just exist on tiktok now so i mean i don't know why we need the abused animals in the tents yeah like the lion taming is a really interesting it's sort of an anomaly in the dock like because the rest of these guys are doing things that actually service 
anything like with topiary services it's relaxing one old lady one old lady and then anybody who's just like (laughs) passers-by like it's that kind of thing that like yeah i think you can go walk through the gardens for but it serves like yeah it's called green animals topiary gardens and um it adds magic to the world yeah you would take your family there and you would look and be like there is there is something beautiful in this world Yes. Ray is adding to the world, even though he's studying, you know, naked mole rats. He's still adding to the world. He's learning about. He's teaching things. us to he's not look at us. things at skin level, exactly. and accept differences, and yeah, that's valuable. And, Robots you know, are valuable. Rodney is bringing about the apocalypse by yeah, you know, creating and Skynet. Rodney's cosplaying the lamest fucking cereal ever and abusing animals, <laughs> and Rodney can fucking suck it that's yeah. how i felt watching the movie yeah it, it, like i said the lions and he was head- pretty shitty too he's like well they replaced me with a younger broad hopefully she doesn't get moited by her tech and then you're watching her and there was a scene and i was like honestly fuck her too because there was a scene with the new trainer where she is hu- she hugs a tiger and the tiger kind of rests its chin on her and you're like all right like maybe she's like bonding more with him nope she pulls back and fucking remember that movie how high yeah Right with Method Man and Red Man, he goes powder, powder, bitch, and he would get like baby powder in his hand to smack. That was like a high school absolute comedy cornerstone for me and the wrestling team. Right, was powder, and that's what she did to the tiger. She fucking bitch smacks this tiger right in the face, and all I could think was eat her. There's five of you yeah. fucking eat her. Well, he has a lot of these. Like he has this whole um, section in the movie where he talks about like having to get like if you get hit or injured by a by one of the cats you have to the get psychology back. of not letting them the know psychology that of them not knowing that you're a weaker animal even though you are and it, like it's a really tragic thing because like to me so i don't like going to the, it's like it's like people who go surfing people go out into the ocean that kind of thing i'm like i don't get it like the ocean hates us <laughs> we shouldn't be in it anyways like yeah. it keeps throwing you back. It does not want <laughs> literally. You. It's literally waving you back out, back, back into itself. But You're like, like, I'm here again. It's like, <laughs> it throws you back to the sand. But that's, but that, that's what, I, that's, what's kind of crazy is like all these guys, like everyone, but um, everyone, but Dave is understanding that nature is volatile and not yeah. trying to control it, but just understand it on their level. Dave's the only one who's trying to not just control, but dominate nature. But then by saying, I think that's the difference, right? It's not control because that's what they're all kind. This is domination, right? Yeah. This is a cheapening and a lessening of life, right? You see these animals, and they are just these fucking ghostly shells, yeah, right. And it's not—they're not majestic and they're not beautiful like they should be in their natural form, right? And I think that's Dave represents this this cheapening, right? And in a way, he does serve a purpose because. Dave is essentially the avatar for the myths and stories we tell ourselves, right? Dave is the man who who fails to be humbled by this vast experience, right? Right. And the psychology of Dave is very interesting. He goes to work every day knowing that he's weak compared to these beasts, and he has to maintain this facade. So every day he's living a lie in a way. Right. And he's passing that lie off to us, and it's – the, he, he said one thing that really struck me. He's like, when I'm in the cage, right, it doesn't matter if there's five or 5,000 people out there. It's me and my world. And I was like, the fucking narcissistic strokeness of that conversation, right? The way he's just like, just go. You're just like, when he goes to town, he's going to get his little whip out and his little chair and like tame himself. You know what I mean? Ooh, ooh, naughty, it's Tuesday. And it's just ridiculous. This guy is such a... I feel bad hating on this guy 
but I love how anytime this is this goes for any movie we watch though. I love how anytime we run into these characters are just like narcissist galore. These people who have no business in like normal society or like interacting with other people. We always assume their like private life is them just like sadly masturbating to themselves. <laughs> are you saying that I'm projecting? <laughs> No, you're a perfectly adequate member of society. Let me tell you as an expert at... No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but I just say... I mean, imagine this motherfucker. Imagine Dave at a barbecue. He's probably the most insufferable. Well, one time I was wrestling a tiger. He's that one-upper like, guy? That's oh, who yeah. he is. He's the one-upper. Oh, really? Yeah, your kid did something cool at T-Ball? Sweet. Let me tell you about the time yeah. I cracked a lion tusk. He's know, that like, guy who you're, yeah, you're telling a T-Ball story, and then the guy, he's the guy who says, I got that beat. And it's like, wasn't a competition. Yeah. I don't even know why you'd say yeah. that. If I'm being honest, none of these people seem wildly fun to have at the gathering, right? <laughs> like, But at least, I mean, we need people like these, right? You at need least Rodney's trying to clean wall. the TV. Yeah, right. Rodney shit someday vacuumed my floor. He called that one a hundred percent right. Yeah. The integration of this intelligence all across the board. But I think that's the I like that the movie never settles on anything. I want to ask you about this though. What did you make of the the B roll movie, right? Because I kind of got what they were doing with Darkest Africa, right? Mm -hmm. These are men venturing out into the edges of science and this and that, right? Experience, fine. Then they add the robot B-roll. He used a lot of B-roll. And a lot of times he match cuts it with then uh, B-roll from the circus or the garden. But it's in black and white to match the the film he was showing. What did you make of that technique? For me, it represents what I think Errol Morris is trying to say throughout the movie, which is that all of this blends together into one seamless narrative, which is that all of us are trying to, in the face of progress in the face of existence all of us are just trying to maintain so like for me i think for it all to become the same black and white eight millimeter look just makes it all relevant everything mm -hmm. becomes relevant even stuff that would never affect you like lion taming naked mole rats a topiary garden or little ro little bug robots like no matter what it all becomes part of our lives. Like whether you like it or not, some aspect of that will enter your life at some time. I'm not saying I'm going to be a lion tamer, but I certainly am someone who, you know, anytime you get on a fucking airplane, you're facing death. Like, it's just one of those things. Like you're like, there is this level of, you're not trying to dominate it. Of course you're in a fucking metal tube in the sky. It's your business. But like, to me, the blending of all those things into one look makes mm. it all it's part of your existence. It, it it doesn't question. You're, you're not questioning it because like I had the same thing. I was like, was this all shot? Then like, I know like, yeah, like why was. the robot? Like I was like, is this a Rob zombie music video? Like, what are we doing this cutaway for? Yeah, it was, um, it was one of those things where I feel like he's just saying all of it's the same. Like we're not, yeah. nothing is not everything special and nothing special. almost. Well, cause it, it makes sense for Dave, the lion tamer, right? Cause totally. he literally just tried to make himself the man in that film. Right. right. Well, that's like the first B roll we see in the movie is the, yeah, but when they added the robot, I thought that was kind of strange because the footage of the robots that Rodney makes is cooler than that's awesome. So, but, and then I was like, maybe the whole point is to show a, a humanoid anthropomorphized robot to connect it to because I think Rodney's story actually was the most interesting to me. Yeah. Because I feel like on the spectrum, I would fall between 
Rodney and topiary guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I appreciate science and the learning and this and that, but also I just want to be confronted by the, you know, magic and beauty and shit. Right. But he has this thing. He said when he was a kid, right, he was fascinated with the idea of turning on a machine and watching it come to life. Right. Right. So he's the one that really represents this, this God mind, right? That he loves the power of this creation and seeing what it is. Right. And he had this, this, this moment where he starts talking about the hardest thing is creating the basics, right? Is creating the moving and hunting and this and that. Once you do that, he goes, higher intelligence is easy. And that really struck me, right? It's, there, there's this famous Ray Bradbury short story. I can't remember what the title is, but it's in the book, The Illustrated Man. If you haven't mm -hmm. read that, it's really good. And so the story is these two priests go to Mars and they're going to like, you know, bring Jesus to Mars. And what they find essentially these glowing blue balls, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, they're not human, but they have conscience. And they're trying to debate with like how these things can like they can foist God into these gelatinous whatevers. But one of the things they discuss in that is they're like the amoeba is the perfect creature. It just floats around and exists, right? Once it evolves and you give it arms, it's able to strangle, right? When you give it legs, it can chase something down. When you give it teeth, it'll bite and kill and hurt. Right. And when you give it a brain, it has desires and pleasures that must be sated. And I like that idea that this guy is he hasn't quite figured out that that's what he's doing. Right. Is he's doing this work that will eventually become just another us. Right. And is that necessarily will it be content just to clean his TV? Yeah. He does mention that there might not be room in the future for humans. But I was really struck by that idea. What did you make of Rodney, the, the roboticist? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, in a weird way, Rodney's almost the most human of all of them. Like, I mean, so to speak. I'm not really sure how to put it, but like, well, I'll put it this way. Uh, for me, Rodney represents this, um, Rodney, Rodney is this person who's in constant pursuit of the upper levels of humanity. But he's using the building blocks of life. Like the mm -hmm. lower level, the lower level brain parts that we all function on, to ex to explore what it takes to make existence, not to like, yeah, not to like birth a child or anything like, but literally what it is to create existence and let it let it live. Like the amoeba mm -hmm. analogy is perfect. That illustrated man story is a great example. Like, yeah, like what can I do to create something that just exists? It exists without, without nece not necessarily purpose, but then in some form that in some way is a human anyways, we yeah. just come into this world. We're not assigned a purpose. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it's the most human experiment of all is like, how far can I go? Well, it's also too, right? You give us all these things, right? And then you get Dave's who use it to hurt and abuse, right? And fucking play Tiger King. And then you get George's who use it to make something beautiful. Right. And what that's the thing the movie's always grappling with is what is the net benefit of us, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that we need to stop thinking like Rodney and just accept moments of beauty as they come. And and that that's a little nihilistic for a lot of films, right? I'm assuming if you took this to most studio execs, they'd be like, ooh, not quite my favorite. Um, and it, it is. It's just that concept. Yeah. They even Rodney's even the one who coins the title, right? The fast, cheap, and out of control was essentially a, an essay they wrote about how they would swarm the solar system with robots. Right. And the theory being is that human life is valuable and it takes a long time to grow a human. Um, and robots are easier to mass produce, and that's why they'd be beneficial. I'm looking at you, Blade Runner 2049, but we'll have that debate <laughs> on another show. 
But robots are vastly advantageous in that way, right? That's yeah. common sense. Blade Runner 2049. Again, neither here nor there. But what he says is he'd send them out to these planets and they would just swarm them with these, you know, thousands, millions, myriad, legion little robots, right? And if one found something good, the others would go do that. And you wouldn't worry about all the little sunk cost of the little lost ones, right? Because they would just swarm and overwhelm the environment and get the job done. And you're listening to that while looking at the circus. And you're like, yeah, man, that's all we did. We just flooded the fucking zone. And I think that's the – because I think if you were watching this, right, you probably find the guy you latch on to. Like, who's my guy? Right? And I think, sadly, Rodney was my guide. It made me a little sad. And I think by the end, I was like, I need to be a little more George in my life. Yeah, see, I think that's, like, the bigger <laughs> thing is we all want to be George. Everybody yeah. wants to be this, like, tranquil person who is shaping and accepting beauty as it comes into the world. Just creating a nice, yeah. like, great work. And not not in a destructive manner either. Just creating things from the way that they occur naturally. And But we're all much more closer to rodney like i don't i'm not sure anybody necessarily is ray i mean i'm not it's a really hard and i, I know ray plenty, is a he's a scientist but he's he's an observer he's just he's happy to observe yeah, right he's an observer which is fine there's plenty the of watchers other people in the world. Are, are more hands-on right, right. he's I just think, happy to be like look we are all capable of more right i feel like the days cool. of the world are the Daves of the world are a dime a dozen. We all know there's Daves in the world, and they all are terrible. Oh, yeah. Not the name Dave, this Dave. There's many Daves I find delightful. Um, not this one, though. <laughs> That's true. Um, but, like, <laughs> the most important thing to me, though, is all of us are trying to be George all the time. Mm-hmm. Most of us are Rodney, though. We're all progressing yeah. towards this inevitable end. And well, like, it's hard too because like you're a writer, I'm a writer. We make podcasts. We're always trying to create stuff, right? Absolutely. So in in that manner, you're always trying to channel George, which is I want. What I think about all the time, especially as I get older, my main thought in life is I'm like I would just love to add something of value and beauty to this world, right? Agreed. Yeah. And just like something that maybe someday my kids, like when I'm gone, they can come back to it and be like, man, that's really cool. Like I connect on a you know, deep level with my father and maybe grandkids and whatever. Right. Because you think about, like, you pick up these books, right? And these were great, famous men of their times. And to you, they're just a couple letters on a cover. Like, they're not real humans to us. Right. So the vanity of I'm going to create a great work and be immortal is just such a fucking joke, right? Like, you know, you hear Charles Dickens. And it's like, all right, what's the first thing that pops in your head when you hear Charles Dickens? Right. It's not Charles Dickens, right? It's his works or a title no, or a David character. It's David Copperfield. It's yeah. Christmas Carol. It's Tiny Carol, yeah. Tim, whatever. And he's become this abstract thought the same as any of his characters. So the fact that someone like George can keep going and not let the, that inevitability of the kind of pointlessness of every pursuit we can get into scare us is is really the the benefit of our species, right? And that the Rodneys of the world who are like, I will find this problem. In a way, Rodney's trying to conquer the entire mortality of us and the uselessness of us in the way that Dave is pointing a chair at a fucking great and majestic beast. And that's also just kind of fucking pointless, right? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I guess that's the question is I, I would love to know, like, different viewers. I just walk away being like, 
Look for those small moments, man. That's all we fucking get. That's it. I mean, that's really kind of like, I guess the takeaway from the movie itself is just like these moments where you find this, whatever your elation is, hopefully it's not as destructive as caging and taming lions. But like, to me, again, we all want to be George. We all want to have that moment of feeling really good about snipping something away and making something beautiful. Yeah. That's all it is. George even says, he's like, I don't know what'll happen when I'm gone. Right. And that's a really bummer. I think that's almost the last shot of the movie is just him working on a a bush. And it's like, what will happen when the Georges are gone? Right. And we're just stuck with, you know, cosplaying fucking heroes and or, you know, whatever the fuck. Right. These cosplaying, you know, I'm going to defeat fucking animals and prove that I'm the big dick swinging or Rodney's who are like, I will turn us into functional machines. Yep. Or, uh, you know, Ray, who's just like, look, evolution will handle it. Right. It's. It's it's shockingly glib for a movie that made it's it that's a real that's maybe how I'd sum it up, right? Yeah. It's a movie that reaffirmed and made me want to kind of soak up the fact that I'm a part of this weird fucking unexplainable thing. Yeah. But also feel very hopeless and like there's no point to any of that. <laughs> so it really leaves you in a in a real a real fucked scenario. <laughs> there's a certain exis- there's a certain existential crisis you should come to by the end of this movie. Yeah. Which and then fun. you're like, five days from now, like, green animals will be out of my mind. George will be forgotten and unappreciated yeah. again. It's a really fucking weird place. But I think that's what I will take away, right? Is that this movie won the fact that it remains entertaining, right? Because it seems like this would get boring just constantly hearing these guys blab on about their pursuits, right? Yeah. But it's that the fact that through his techniques of matching them together, they're actually all building together. We're not putting their different points of views at at odds or whatever. No. We're just listening to people who are unique characters talk about what it's like for all of us and that the weirdness of what they're doing is just a little extra flavor. And through the techniques of, you know, his matching and blending, it just becomes this this beautiful porridge, right? And and I, I quite enjoy it's funny, I was telling you I was assigned to watch this in college and I fucking hated it. Like I watched it in my class and our professor was like, what'd you guys think? And we're like, total fucking horseshit. I hate this movie. What a waste of my time. I don't care about fucking mole rats. I don't care about fucking gardening. Like I want to watch, you know, sorority girls get decapitated like a real, real, like a real fucking college kid. Yeah. Like a real Dave. <laughs> want to go point sticks at people and whip, you know, whatever. But I watched it today and I was it just hit me absolutely right. Maybe I'm able to be a little more introspective, obviously, now uh, than College you? Griff was. But I found it I found it a really awesome view, man. I I quite enjoyed it. And I think there's something to a lot of documentaries cover, you know, by their nature, very important and heavy subject matters. Mm-hmm. And there are documentaries I know that people are like you should watch. Them. I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot. Like, I don't know if I can take on the extra, you know, like that. I'll be gone when the morning comes or dark comes that, oh, you know, I'll be gone in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was like, uh, you had to get psyched up. Like, all right, I'm ready to watch one. And then yeah. when you watch one, you're like, why am I watching this? I, I think it's great that this documentary has such amazing weight and heft without necessarily all of that, that extra difficult shit. I don't disagree. It's the charm of Errol Morris. He's just unbelievable. That's it. For fast, cheap, and out of control. That's it for you, Dave. If I ever find you were getting in the octagon, 
I'm going to whip your ass and fucking hit you with the chair, Dave. <laughs> you little sack of shit. I mean, I don't know him personally. I'm just saying. Stop abusing animals for the entertainment. Stop putting these sad fucking animals at the zoo for me to pay too much money to go watch my kids watch these things pray for death. That's neither here nor there. That's for a different show. Uh, thank you again, Heath, for the selections. Patron Heath Benfield. This has been a really interesting test, and I like the different flavor of these episodes. So I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to do this. Guys, again, if you want to have us talk about your movies, patreon.com slash Pod. You can find us there for as little as a dollar a month. You can join our community and just see what we're all about, guys. That's all you got to do. Once we get you in, we naked mole rat you, and you have to roll around in our urine and excrements, and then you're part of the hive. <laughs> I, I won't make you do that. It's fine. Oh, Alex is too busy all of a sudden for the urine initiation. Sorry, I'm, I'm being very, I'm being very Rodney. I'll make the bugs. That's all. How dare you? Go back to your bush trimming. <laughs> Since we were man's, uh, sponsored by Manscaped at one point. Uh, guys, you can email well the show, gmail.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. We're very easy to find on social media, and we love hearing from you guys. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. 